welcome high school hockey fans to another edition of this week in wisconsin prep hockey i am temporary fill-in host bill berg jr as mj hammett is a walking technical difficulty uh with me tonight are del scanlon and bill berg uh, we'll start off without any preamble. We'll give it over to Burglar, and he can talk about some of the games he saw last week. Thanks, Bill. Uh, we started out, Brett and I, at Stevens Point, KB Willard Arena, on Tuesday for a sectional semifinal. Um, I know we don't always cover sectional semifinals, but in this uh, section of doom where four of our top six teams in the state were all packed into this one section. Um, I thought it was worth covering this one. Um, pretty good matchup, Spash and Hudson. Uh, they seem to be pretty much even in terms of, you know, depth and speed. But Spash had, uh, I think, the the upper hand was skilled forwards. Uh, they had Grant Molsky, Grady Miller, Jackson Schrader. Each had more than 40 points on the regular season. And they just seem to be able to get the puck uh, closer to the net than uh, Hudson was able to do. Hudson, the shots were actually in Hudson's favor, but they were mostly from the outside with little or no traffic in in front of Sperlin, the the Spash goaltender. But even with all those high-scoring forwards, uh, the, the hero of the night was Jackson Spees, who had only scored four goals. Uh, for Spash in the regular season in 23 games, but he had a hat trick uh, in this game. And those three goals, uh, they 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 make up the margin in a in a five to three win. Um, so that was Tuesday, and then on Friday we went to Rice Lake to see New Richmond and Amory. Uh, we got to sit up in the coaches' suite there. Uh, Josh Engel let Brett and I up there, and it was actually a good good place to take pictures. Uh, nice clear glass in front, and we could sit, and it was warm. So uh, a threefer going on up there. Um, the sentimental favorite in that game was probably Amory. Uh, to a lot of fans that didn't necessarily have you know a stake in one team or the other, uh, because for Amory, their their longtime coaches Tim Henningsgard and Matt Humple. Uh, announced earlier that that they were going to step down after, I don't know, 30-whatever years uh, on the Amory bench. But uh, New Richmond was just too fast, too deep, and and physical. They just they just wore Amory down. Um, the shots were pretty even. The game was even. It was, it was one-to-one, you know, halfway through the second period. And then uh, New Richmond, or yeah, New Richmond just rattled off, you know, five, straight goals. I think two at the end of the second and, and then three more in the third. Um, and then they also have a, a high, uh, a quartet of highly skilled skaters in, in Bjorn Bonneman, Matt Unger, uh, captain catcher Langness and, and Steve Chapman. They're all, they're all like 40 plus point scores during the regular season. And they each, they each added, you know, chipped in two or more points uh, for their cause in this game. And that was uh, Rice Lake. I think you uh, went to a game also. Yes, on that Friday sectional final day, I saw the Superior Spartans uh, come down to Mosinee to take on the Central Wisconsin Storm. And that was a game really played in 
in thirds. Uh, the the storm seemed in control of the first period. Uh, jumped out to a one goal lead. Scored again quickly in the second period. And after that second goal, uh, even though even though storm got the third goal, after that second goal, the ice was heavily weighted in Superior's favor. Um, they made a line change uh, after that second goal. Uh, they had uh, Autumn Cooper and Michaela Renke playing on separate lines for the first period and up until that second goal. And then they put them back together. And from that point out, Superior kind of dominated the second and third periods. They outshot the Storm 13-4 to in the second and 12-4 to in the third. Um, they, you know, they went down 3 to nothing and then erased that three-goal deficit, um, tying it up with... I believe an empty netter uh, late in the third period might not have been an empty netter, not an empty netter. Sorry. I pulled pulled goalie extra attacker. I'm tired. Um, <clears throat> tied it up in the third period. It went to overtime. Uh, and the, the, the Spartans really came out strong in overtime. They had a, a really good chance early in the overtime period and they got overzealous with it and got called uh, for charging the goalie while she was, you know, down trying to cover the puck. Uh, and that put them in the box. And then just a few seconds later, 14 seconds later, one of their penalty killers got a very obvious tripping call uh, that put them down on a five-on-three power play in overtime. And that happened right in front of me. And when uh, the Storm players came off their bench for that power play, they all had huge smiles on their faces because they were in overtime on a five-on-three power play, and it only took them uh, less is 33 seconds uh, from when the puck dropped on that five-on-three to put the puck into the back of the net and take the four-to-three overtime win. I got a chance to talk to a former Storm assistant coach uh, back from the, the Pete Susans era about this game, and yeah, he's he's... he's Saw it the same way I did, that for the first period, the Storm really looked in control, and for the second and third, it was all Superior. Uh, he felt that Superior just <clears throat> end-to-end speed, so, so the Storm couldn't match it. But when it came to cross-ice play, uh, making good quality passes across the ice, stretching the defense out, the Storm did a better job, and I'd have to agree that they did. Um, superior speed was something that they they had real trouble with, for the second and third period, but they managed to take that early lead and hang on for dear life. And then, you know, a mistake got them the win. Back to burglar where he was busy on Saturday. You're on mute. We, we, we left rice Lake Saturday morning, uh, headed to Somerset. Um, and we got there early enough that we had, we, we, we had brunch. We went to, uh, the sportsman's bar and grill for brunch. And, uh, we, we ran into my fan again. I have, we all know I have a fan in, in Menominee and she was there with, with, uh, some of her other hockey moms and they, you know, getting ready. They were doing the same thing, getting ready for the, the game also. Uh, so that was, that was good. Uh, and then, our, un, un, unfortunately for her, uh, you know, the game didn't go uh, Menominee's way uh, this time. We had mentioned during our preview um, that 
River Falls had a couple of goaltenders uh, that could come up big in in, in games. Uh, Luke Le- Le- Luke Linehan and Daniel Lynn each uh, posted big wins during the regular season against teams that they previously hadn't been able to beat. Uh, Linehan had a one nothing shutout against Eau Claire Memorial, and Daniel Lynn, uh, I think, prevailed over New Richmond for the for the first time. Um, for River Falls, so, and then in this game, Linehan was, was the goalie, and he posted another thirty-plus game or thirty-plus save shutout in this game. Um, it was solid in the net. I got to see the first time uh, Jackson Flanagan. I don't know that I'd heard his name before because we don't get over to that part of the state very much, but he's a sophomore defenseman uh, for River Falls. And it it took me real it took me all to realize he was a defenseman because I kept seeing him uh, with the puck in the offensive zone going around guys and through guys and and firing shots on on goal. Uh, then I looked he, he's actually a defenseman and a a, a good defenseman. Uh, he got the first goal of the night with the game winner um, with a perfectly placed wrist shot uh, from the left faceoff circle right right in the top corner of the net. Um, that was really all River Falls needed. They did get another goal uh, in the third period. Um, Wyatt Hepful uh, gave them the goal, which you know either gave them a little bit of breathing room, or if you're one of those you know who thinks the two goal lead you know is the worst thing to have in hockey, then they they had the two goal lead and uh, they they held they they kept that for the final eleven minutes and ended up winning two to nothing for their first trip to state since 1997 they had one other trip and that was in 1997 uh i think they were one and one in that trip um so that was my thing and then you had one more game yes i went back to mosini <clears throat> to see the tomahawk hatchets come down and be the home team against mosini um and I expected a much better game than this ended up being. Um, having seen Tomahawk twice this season, including the Great Northern Conference Tournament, saw Mosini uh, just destroy Wapaka in the Great Northern Conference Tournament. Um, and then with their win over for Lake over Lakeland earlier in the week, I expected this to be a tight, close game. And 12 minutes into the first period, Tomahawk was already up 3-0. Mosini got one back, but Tomahawk got a backbreaker in the final minute of the first period to go into the intermission four to one. Um, added a goal in the second, and you know by the end of the game it was eight to two running time victory for Tomahawk. Um, they were just too fast for Mosini. Uh, the whole game long, uh, Mosini didn't have an answer for the speed of Austin Lamer. And um, Jonah Dickens, uh, especially those two players, just incredibly fast. Uh, Austin Lamer has more moves than most defensemen uh, have any right to. Uh, very strong with the puck. He's an excellent shooter. Their first goal of the night was a wrist shot from the point in center into the top corner above the the goalie's blocker. Like, and it was it was faster than any slap shot I've ever fired. Um, Shoots incredibly hard. And they just, yeah, they just kind of ran, ran away with it. They ended up putting 
uh, 40 shots on goal. They outshot Mozanie 40 to 23 in what I thought was going to be a close, hard fought battle. But yeah, they just, they ran away with it and it was a pretty impressive display from them. So far, it was probably one of their more impressive games of the season. Uh, fairly complete. Uh, they didn't take a major penalty, uh, which is the first time I've seen them play a game without taking a major. So that's a step in the right direction. And MJ got his computer working. MJ finally got his computer working. Hello, kids. And that brings us to our... Players of the week, Dell. Our best Western Premier Park Hotel Players of the Week. And the first player of the week on the boys' side, you actually heard Bill Berg talk about him from River Falls. Jackson Flanagan had a plus five in Section 3 play with three playoff games, had the game-winning goal against both Somerset and Menominee in the sectional semifinal and final. And our boys player of the week is Jackson Flanagan, defenseman from River Falls. On the girls side, we're actually going to go to the southern part of the state. And from Cap City, the goaltender in the regional final, a three to two victory over the Badger Lightning as the five seed knocks off the four. Then they go went on to take on Rock County in the sectional semifinal where she made 29 saves, allowing one goal and a 2-1 to overtime victory over the Rock County Fury. And then in the, sectional in the sectional final, she had 47 saves, allowing one goal and a 2-1 to overtime victory over the number two seed Metro Lynx. And our best Western Premier Park Hotel Player of the Week on the girls' side is Sophia Martinelli. This is probably something I could have looked up, Dell, but has a five seed ever gone to the girls' state tournament? I do not believe so. I was going to look that up today, and I I fell asleep again this afternoon. What can I say? All right. Now we will move on to the state tournaments themselves, starting with uh, Division Two, which gets the Thursday morning games. Uh, number one, New Richmond takes on number four, Tomahawk. And then number two, Fond du Lac Springs, takes on number three, River Falls. I will say that New Richmond is the best team that's been on Tomahawk's schedule this season. Tomahawk has had some strong games against good, good quality teams, and they've come out on the wrong end of them in times when they shouldn't have. Uh, they played university school um, at a tournament um, at the Community First Champion Center over there in Grand Chute. And they outshot University School 31 to 12 in that game, but lost three to nothing. And that's kind of been <clears throat> their story in a couple games. Like they have a loss to Marshfield that they shouldn't have, a four to three overtime loss where they outshot Marshfield 46 to 20. Um, Tomahawk is fast, and because they're fast, they can skate with a lot of teams, but they've got just some of those games where it's just not there and they can't have that against New Richmond. Uh, New Richmond, obviously, we've said it before, plays in the Big Rivers Conference. So they play Hudson twice. They play Eau Claire Memorial twice. They play Chippewa Falls twice. 
They played obviously River Falls twice. They played Menominee twice. Those are all, uh, you know, in the case of River Falls and Menominee, a one seed and a two seed, or two a two seed and a one seed. Hudson, Eau Claire Memorial, and Chippewa Falls were all in our top six in D one. So um, Tomahawk's not going to show New Richmond anything that they've they haven't seen before, and Tomahawk's really going to have to pull it together in that one. They're going to have to be disciplined, stay out of the box, do everything right, um, and then see if their speed can can get them some goals. I gave myself a little project the other day, yesterday, because some people are asking, uh, we had gotten some questions, why are River Falls in New Richmond in different sections? And I, I made, I pulled up the Google Maps and I made a map of all the D2 teams. <clears throat> and it kind of showed pretty obviously why they're in different sections. It's just the way the map works out. But then I updated my spreadsheet of uh, enrollments, which I hadn't updated in a couple of years. Tomahawk is like, the fifth smallest, third smallest enrollment in WIAA boys hockey. St. Mary Springs is the smallest at 263. Um, Spooner is 365. Tomahawk's 370. That's ignoring the, the the three private schools that opted up into D1. I don't know what their enrollment is. I didn't look that up. But Tomahawk, 371 students in a state tournament. Uh, that's something that you can really only get from two-division hockey. And the second game is River Falls against St. Mary Springs. And they'd like to believe it, but St. Mary Springs will not be the best team that River Falls has faced this season. As we mentioned, they're in the Big Rivers. They've played Hudson twice. They've played Oakland Memorial twice. They've played Chippewa Falls twice. They've played New Richmond twice. Um, they stole wins against New Richmond, the number one team in Division Two. And uh, Eau Claire Memorial was the number three team, I believe, in Division One. I. I don't have the rankings right in front of me. So River Falls, um, I mean, it's going to come down a lot, just like it did in the sectional final. It's going to come down a lot to their their goaltending. Uh, I assume Linehan is going to continue uh, between the pipes. Uh, he's the older one, and he got the, the sectional semi in the final. And Springs is going to have to find a way to solve them. Uh, but... Springs is also a really strong team and they've been to the state tournament now four years out of the five in division two for a reason. Yeah. It's, Springs has gotten back um, one of their player, one of their, their forwards who missed a good, at least a good chunk of the season and Gabe Brown or Braun. Um, and he's just been on a tear. Uh, he's got 11 points eight goals and three assists in their three playoff games. Uh, so he's been on a tear. Uh, Isaac Sable uh, scoring with them from, from the defense. Austin Westergaard has been playing hurt, but he's still effective out there and they still have Armani Fisher. So they can, they got guys that can put the puck in the net. So Linehan is really going to be tested and the defense for um, New Richmond is going to be tested. As and well, Springs outshot Oregon at that sectional final 58 to 31 <clears throat> for Oregon, who'd been ranked number two pretty much since week two or three of the season and have been getting first place votes that whole time. Uh, for Springs to outshoot 58, 58 to is a lot of shots, yeah, that's a lot of offense, yep. 
I mean, 58 to 31, I mean, overall, that's 89 shots. That's a that's a heavy hockey game. That's not a lot of defensive play. Do you want to make predictions? I was just looking it up here to see... Uh talking about final X Springs to see, you know, if there's anybody on the division two side that they played and they did play new Richmond. They played new Richmond back around the middle of December and lost seven to four. Just like the Oregon game. Not a lot of defense happening there. No, it was higher, but yeah. Um, I watched quite a bit of the Oregon game, and you know, Fond du Lac Springs was just the better team. Um, it didn't have helped for Oregon late in that game. I know I'm late to the discussion here, guys, but it didn't help late in that game when Andrew Jakey takes a two minute penalty for uh, goaltender interference. You know, you're taking your best player goes off the ice for two minutes and you're trailing by a goal. So it was one of those that was one of those games. Anyways, let's not digress. Um but well, I did I know you mentioned New that Richmond. New Richmond game, the Springs New Richmond game. Um I wasn't sold on New Richmond uh at the start of the season. Uh, when it came to our top 10 voting, they opened the season with a 6-2 to two loss to Eau Claire Memorial. And then December 15th, they had a 5-4 to four loss to Fond du Lac, not Springs, uh, in overtime. So I was not, I mean, they outshot them 37-21, to 21, but they still, they lost that game in overtime. So I wasn't sold on them. It was their win against Springs, 7-4, to four, and their follow-up win against Mosinee, 6-1, to one, that really made me get back on the New Richmond bandwagon. I just got open to that box score here, and I'm kind of looking here in that New Richmond game with with Fondy Springs. Uh, and New Richmond held had a pair of shots. Well, I, I don't think they're going to play anyway. I think uh, I, I mean, we're going to do predictions. I, I as much as I'd like to see, you know, Tomahawk, one of our northern teams. Uh, win down there. I think New Richmond's going to be able to handle Tomahawk, but I I've seen each of these four teams. And I really I really liked the look uh, from what I saw yesterday or Saturday from River Falls, uh, the Wildcats. I think I think they have it in them to pull the upset on Pontiac Springs, and then they're going to be up against New Richmond again in the. In, in the championship game and you know it's hard to beat a team three times in you know one season well they split didn't they did they okay yeah because daniel lynn had a 48 say oh, that's right yes to win or whatever for river falls so yeah so I, my, my money my my not money because you don't gamble on high school sports but my not money is on the rich Oh, 
All right, Dell disappeared, but we're going to move on to the girls' tournament. Where number one, Central Wisconsin, takes on number four, Cap City. Uh, two seed against a five seed. Uh, and number two, St. Croix Valley Fusion, takes on number three, Bay Area Ice Bears. That was two number one seeds facing off against each other. Um, um, go ahead, Dell. Central Wisconsin and Cap City met er earlier this year. As Central Wisconsin won that game six to one. Uh, Cap City has been playing better at the end of the season, uh, but I don't know if they have the firepower to keep up with Central Wisconsin. I mean, you, you've got to see them. Central Wisconsin can apply the pressure, and you know, it, the games that Cap City seems to win are ones that where they're able to keep it a a close game and battle it out for the win. On the other side, St. Croix and Bay Area played, I think it was St. Croix's second game of the season or so, and they beat Bay Area in that game four to three. Bay Area has come on strong uh, it, throughout the season. Uh, personally, I was surprised they ended up with the number three seed. Uh, they beat Central Wisconsin late, split on the season with them. Uh, but, you know, the way the seed, seeding came out, I – I was a little surprised with the way the seating was, but with this, I actually think Central Wisconsin will be able to win that first game, which you would expect on one over the four seed, a two over the or two over the five, however you want to look at it. Um, and then the two ones matching up, uh, that's going to come right down to the wire, I think. Uh, St. Croix, uh, I was a little surprised with the four to one victory. In the sectional final, they split with Western Wisconsin on the season. Uh, the last time they had played them in the regular season was an overtime game won by Western Wisconsin. Uh, but, you know, uh, I guess if I had to make my decision on this, I I think that my final state tournament uh, girls championship game could be a rematch of our uh, Storm Fusion could we have another big overtime like a few years back? You mentioned the Bay Area beating the Storm right at the end of the season. <clears throat> that game was one to nothing in overtime, which would lead you to believe that it was a close game. But it wasn't. Bay Area outshot the Storm 44 to 10 um, in that game. And which is a depart huge departure from the first time the two teams played when the Storm outshot them 22 to 21. Evenly played game also went to overtime. Storm won that one two to one. Uh, I was talking to Chad Holmes, uh, who does the radio of the, the Wausau and Storm games uh, up here in central Wisconsin. And he said um, that last game of the regular season, he'd never seen the Storm with their backs against it like they were against Bay Area. Uh, and Claire Combs, their goalie, was the only reason that that game was even close. Um, that said, that game, looking at the, the Storm's performance all season, that looks like an aberration. I mean, those two teams played once already the year, and that was not what happened. Um, and then, obviously, the Storm just beat the number one team in the state. Um, so, I mean, the Bay Area Storm game from earlier looks like an aberration to me anyway. Uh, I think that the, the championship is going to be Storm versus uh, Bay Area 
Um, and I think the storm will probably pull it out. Well, my, 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 my not money because we don't bet on, on these games is on uh, St. Croix Valley and uh, Kendall Sunby getting the one thing that she doesn't have on her resume. And that would be a, uh, a, a state championship. I don't think the St. Croix Valley fusion has won a state championship in a while. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's the one thing she needs on to to complete her her illustrious uh, high school hockey career. I think that you have been charmed by River Falls. <laughs> <laughs> so you're big up, you're big on River Falls and Saint Croix Valley Fusion, who are based out of River Falls this year. You were bringing up about the uh, aberration in the shots uh, of that game with Central Wisconsin. I wanted to look and see what Bay Area's season-long uh, stats were when it came to the goalie. They actually outshot their opponents 838 to 330 on the season. Uh, you know, their their goaltender uh, allowed 1.52. And so, yeah, I, honestly, I, I could see it the way you're saying, you know, it being uh, Bay Area, Central Wisconsin, Bay Area trying to defend their uh, state title. And um, I could be wrong here, but are they going for a three-peat? I believe you're wrong there. I can't remember who won it two years ago. Wasn't it Fox Cities? You could be right, MJ. Well, don't ask me. I don't remember what I had for breakfast. No, la last year was... Yeah, 2022 was the storm. Bay Area last year, 22 was the storm. 21 was uh, Chippewa Falls. And 2020 uh -huh. was Fox Cities. Fox okay. Cities. 2020 was Fox Cities three-peat. No, it was only two in a row. WIA just has it listed twice on the all-time state champions list. They have the 2019 team listed twice. Oh, because they beat Hudson two years in a row, six to five in double overtime, both times. Both of both of them were played in 2019 for some reason. Yeah. It's just a PDF WIA. It's not that hard. Come on. So yeah, I mean, if it is, if it does end up Bay Area versus the Storm, one, that will be very disappointing because those are the last two champions meeting up again, and we like to see new blood get in there. But uh, but I still think that's what's gonna happen. What's going on on Friday down, down there in Middleton? Friday is the Division One Chippewa Falls, number one versus Brookfield, number four. Uh, those are both one seeds. And then Notre Dame, uh, two seed at the second spot, taking on Ed Madison Edgewood, uh, three seed in the tournament. They were one seed in their bracket. Uh, that should be... Two really, three really, really good hockey games on the D1 side. Right now, Chippewa Falls looks kind of unstoppable. Uh, I believe they have won 17 games in a row, uh, which is a pretty impressive go of it. Um, 
But, you know, don't count out any of these other teams. Brookfield well, you, that well. Yeah, you, you, they won, yeah, whatever many games in a row. But in addition to that, during their, their playoff run here, they haven't been scored on yet. That is correct. They beat. Which gave, you know, which gave McMarlow some uh, consideration for the, you know, player of the, player of the week, you know, with three shutouts in his, in his playoff games. It just like, it, it, it wasn't it, any it, of those teams was took was 19. There, yeah. There were, there weren't very many shots on goal. They just played really strong defense. Yeah. The most shots they've given up in a game in their three playoff games was 19 to Eau Claire Memorial. I believe Spash only put on 16 or 17. Everest was right around the same amount, uh, maybe a little lower. So yeah, they've, they're, yeah, they're 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 not letting anybody even close to their net. Tell us about Brookfield, MJ. Well, I don't know the way you guys talk about Chippewa Falls. I mean, what should I tell you about Brookfield? It's almost like they don't have a chance. But yeah, well, you ask those chance. guys. What's that? Everybody's got a chance. That's why well, they sure. You just you just sure. have to tell us why Brookfield's going to win. Why Brookfield's going to win? Boy, I mean they're eighteen five and one. They're eighteen five and one. Um, you know what though? The thing that concerns me is I don't think they've seen a team like Chippewa Falls this year. I mean, they Honestly. played Smash, who was the two seed in the section of death. Yeah, they, and they, they tied them. Notre Dame. Okay. I don't. I don't know the way Chippewa Falls is rolling now. I mean, it's it's going to be hard. I mean, Brookfield's got some kids that can score. They play pretty good defense. It's going to come down to I think Brookfield's netminder. Their goalie is going to have to play awfully well against Chippewa Falls, because as we all know, Chippewa Falls can put the puck in the net, but so can Brookfield. Question is, is can Brookfield keep the puck out of their net? We'll see. But, uh, you know, Chippewa Falls has got to be the favorite in this game. On the other side, we've got the two private schools, Notre Dame Academy against Madison Edgewood. And they did play this year. They did. And... What do we got here? Edgewood won that game for Notre Dame won that game four to three in overtime. Oh, shots were really low in that game for an overtime game, twenty eight to twenty three. Um, and each team only took two penalties, which is surprising. You know when I when I did see Edgewood earlier in the year, they they played Middleton pretty well. This is one where I've seen both teams play. They played Middleton well. They came back another time and they beat Middleton in the sectional final. And it was even a more open game than was as close the first time. But, you know, I've seen Notre Dame once and I've seen them against, who did I see them against? Verona. And I thought Notre Dame looked a little bit like the Notre Dame that was the state champion. Um, 
they control things on defense. Uh, they should have had at least four or five goals in that game. I mean, netminder for Verona played outstanding that night. It was only a two to one game, but um, I think Notre, I think Notre Dame being a young team, I mean, this is a different group that won last year, but at this point, I don't think I can count them out, but you know, the goalie for Edgewood's pretty doggone good. Uh, Rowan White. So Notre Dame's uh, going to have their hands full with just being able to uh, get pucks in the back of the net. But you know, Notre Dame's defense has also played well. So this is the one I think is going to be a super close game. This is the one where I think could go overtime. Well, Notre uh, Dame coming into the tournament, they had to beat Bayport, which they did. I think it was two to nothing with an empty netter. <clears throat> in three games against Bayport, they scored three goals total against um, Devin Rusley, Bayport's goalie, <clears throat> one of the finalists for the Kirk Dobbinspeck Award. One of the other finalists is their opponent, Rowan White, in this one. So we know that you know a good goalie can a good goalie and some solid defense can keep them off the board. Um, well, and that that game that MJ was just talking about when Notre Dame beat. Uh, Edgewood four to three. That was the only time that Edgewood has given up more than two goals in a game this year. Two goals has been their limit, other than that. They got that about a half dozen times they gave up two. The rest were one or none. Um, so that yeah, that that game was a uh a, a blip on the on the uh, Edgewood uh, normal, like, radar. This is going to be like a two-to-one, three-to-two, one-to-nothing type game. Yep. It has the makings of that, yes. Yeah, Edgewood, yes. On, the season, Edgewood on the season is giving up 0. 0.99 goals per game. Told you there were a lot of ones and zeros out there. Couple of twos. Ten, ten shutouts in a 24-game season. Well, and that game against Notre Dame, every goal in that game was an even strength goal. Uh Edgewood outshot Notre Dame 28 to 23, including seven to one on shots in the overtime. In which they, they gave up the one goal in overtime to lose it four to three. So, yeah, this could be interesting. Uh, both teams had two penalties in the game. So I'm going to make a prediction about this one. It doesn't matter who wins. Our Facebook comments are going to be flooded with people saying that private schools should have their own league. <laughs> and they're just going to completely ignore the players on the X. Uh, because I had to deal with our Facebook page way too much the last couple of weeks and I'm tired of reading it. But that should be a great game. Uh, the winner of that game, whomever it is, take on the winner of Chippewa Falls and Brookfield. So who do you think takes the whole thing for D1? Chippewa Falls. That's, that's my pick. And for the first time ever, 
I am taking all the number one seeds. Every year that we've done picks, I have never gone straight ones, whether it was one division for boys or two, but I've gone all number ones this year. Well, division two, I'm going to go out on a limb and say St. Mary Springs. Uh, Chippewa Falls in division one and I part of me really wants to see Kendall Sunby get her state championship to wrap up her high school season but I think it's going to be Bay Area repeating you know the one thing that was mentioned when I was in, in Rice Lake for that sectional final game that New Richmond won um, is a good part of, well, what they're going to have to be on the lookout for New Richmond is, you know, who, what refs are assigned to their game because they play such a strong physical game. If you get, if they get refs from the Southern or Eastern uh, part of the state, uh, they don't really like that style of play. Um, I can see them going to the box a lot with the wrong Tomahawk. officiating crew out there. Tomahawk will have that same issue. The Northern teams have that if they get a Southern officiating crew. So what you're saying is, is officiating in different parts of the state is is a and can be a difference yes it always has been and that's that's why coaches that's why coaches who think they have a chance you know at, at going to state you know will play in different areas of the state to try to get a feel for what it's like and you know teams that play in minnesota say the same thing about when they go to minnesota it's just what gets called and what doesn't and how things are handled is different and that goes you know, it's different between what happens in the Duluth area and what happens in the Twin Cities area. Um, you know, every region sort of has its own feel. The rules are all the same, but, you know, so many things are open to interpretation, and hockey's a very fast game. How things get called changes. And, you know, while different areas, I think, get told at different parts of the year, we need to emphasize on this part here, you know, we're going to put an emphasis on this this year and stuff. And, and when you have your Dane County hockey officials association, you're, you know, and you get your different officials associations like that. And they say they're going to emphasize this part during the year, even though either WIAA might come out saying, this is what we're going to emphasize. You still have your different associations. I think that emphasize different things too. So, I mean, that's, I mean, we've heard complaints from Northern coaches. I believe the exact quote, this happens to us every year down here. Um, to my mind, that means you need to adapt, not everybody else. But, you know, I'm not going to name that coach who is now retired. Well, I, I know when my kids played youth hockey and – uh, they played in the Wisconsin-Minnesota Hockey League. But then we played some of our games down in Dane County 
and everything. And we knew that going to Dane County in that area, they called it tighter than what they did in the Wisconsin-Minnesota Hockey League. Dude, when I was in youth hockey, we didn't have that conversation, but we knew we knew which refs were homers. <laughs> Growing up in Anago, we knew when we were in Mosinee that if there was a call that could go either way, it was against us every time. There was no question about it. Um, and, you know, we knew we knew which rinks had homers, but we didn't know, yeah, these guys call whatever more often. We didn't know any of that. No, what we did know is when you went up to the UP, uh, they didn't even have whistles. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't call penalties up in the UP. It's going to say anything goes? Yeah. Close the game down. Let's say for, for a good chunk of the Storm Superior game, the refs put their whistles uh, for most of the second and third period, the refs put their whistles away. Um, I saw two players that I know are playing college hockey next year at various divisions tackle other people and not get called <laughs> penalties for it. So, Junior, in that game, the uh, Storm and Superior, and said the Storm won that game on a power play. Yep. Go back and... Go back and take a look at the penalties. Were they were they pretty legitimate penalties? Yeah, yeah. The Superior had a really nice scoring chance early in the, the overtime, um, and they got too aggressive with it, and they ran the goalie while they were trying to, you know, get the puck out of the pileup, um, and they got called for charging the goalie, um, and it was a, a good call. And then the the tripping that came 14 seconds later on the penalty kill was a legitimate trip. Um, People who listen to the podcast know I have complained about tripping calls in girls hockey for the last 20 years, um, longer than we've been doing the podcast. It seems like every time a girl falls down, someone gets called for tripping. Um, but this one was actually tripping. Um, it wasn't two girls fighting for the puck. One of them fell down, so the ref's arm went up. This was actually a penalty. So they were down five to three, uh, which was tough for them, but them to the breaks. You know, some people will say let them play, but what they mean is let them cheat. There are rules for a reason. It's funny how you bring that up. I was actually watching one of the college hockey games this last week, weekend, and might have been Notre Dame against uh, Michigan. And one of the referees, one of the announcers actually brought it up saying, you know, people say to let them swallow, the officials need to swallow the whistles here. He says, well, if actually, if you do that here, then as a referee, you are deciding the game because then you're, by not blowing your whistle and calling, what's a legitimate penalty and stuff, you you are deciding the game by letting anything go. So yeah, I was, there was a, just a tremendous open ice hit in the Tomahawk Mosinee game. And the Mosinee player took some time to get up off the ice. And the whole Mosinee section of the crowd wanted a penalty called. It was a clean hit. There was no charge. He didn't leave his feet. He didn't raise his elbow. The player he hit had the puck. He was in the act of playing the puck when he hit him. It was a completely clean hit. And I expected, just based on the crowd reaction and the hit itself, that a penalty would be called, despite the fact there was no actual infraction on the play. That's, that's where I've gotten... In, in watching hockey now, I'm like, he hit him hard. I expect a penalty to be called. Penalty wasn't called, and that was the right call. Um, even talking to the the Mosini scorekeeper between periods, they're like, yeah, that was right in front of us. There was no penalty there. 
like with the other guy in the in the box the the rink announcer is like oh my where's the penalty and like he didn't do anything wrong that was a clean hit that's what a lot of people assume when it comes to penalties is you know you get along the wall and you hear the big boom or the glass rattle or something oh my goodness that's got to be a penalty well especially like against the against the boards they always look and sound worse than they actually are especially at the coliseum when they played there well the coliseum boards bent so much they'd throw you back on the ice well yeah the, the one thing that that i've noticed in the past few years old is there there's i i've seen a lot of very good checks along the boards but at the same time i've seen the checks where that person going in to put the check has left his feet and made the hit and charging. I, I don't I don't remember the last time I've seen that call. I mean, I saw a charging in the in the Mosinee Tomahawk game, but it wasn't because the player left its feet. It's because he skated from the corner to the top of the faceoff circle and blew a guy up. And he got a five minute major for it. Um so I mean, that was at that that was towards the end of the game. Uh but we'll move on from there to our final thoughts. Uh, our first one we'll do is the Wisconsin Pro Hockey Awards Ceremony. For anybody that wants to attend, it's open to everybody. It is on uh, Friday evening at 6 p.m. We had to push it back because they spread the games out. It is at the Marriott Madison West, which is near Bob Suter's Capital Ice Arena. So after you take in the, the Division One, the, the second game, maybe grab a quick bite to eat and then hand over to the awards ceremony where we will be handing out... Uh, Lots of plaques and naming 11 winners of our awards. Uh, more than there were before because we added Division Two, And then uh, I added to the final thoughts sportsmanship because I saw a lack of it among the student bases of both the winning teams of the games I went to. Tomahawk Hatchets, Hatchets and the Central Wisconsin Storm. And um, just following along like I do on Twitter, talking with Chris over at New Sports Radio at Voice of BP. Um, he linked me to a Facebook post by the um, athletic director at Notre Dame, where Notre Dame is actually like trying to identify some kids who, after their win over Bayport, said some, things, said some things that they shouldn't have. And it's like, come on, that's three out of 12 that just I, that I even that I'm even aware of were the winning team in their sectional final where their student the student portion of their fan base has just acted like asses and <clears throat> knock it off. You make you your know, team look you, bad. You kind of, can you kind of wonder sometimes if the WIAA could sanction a team for one reason or another because of that? I don't know that what the rules are, and I know that the WIA is made up of its member schools, so I mean they'd kind of have to want it. But like, yeah, there was, I'm not gonna, I don't know that, I don't know the specifics, but I know that the, yeah, the student sections from Tomahawk, from the Central Wisconsin Storm and Notre Dame Academy all had some sportsmanship issues after their sectional final wins and just knock it off. Yeah. I don't know. Did you see any problems at yours, Burglar? Or did the New Richmond and River Falls fans comport themselves with class? Um, they did. For the most part, the only things 
it was, I might have been the Menominee student section, um, was saying not nice things about the officials. Um, but, you know, nothing directed against the other team or nothing like that. They they just had a couple of, they just had a couple of chance that they would do when, you know, a penalty was called on one of their players, you know, that they didn't agree with. But um, other than that. I'm not saying don't chant. I'm not saying don't do the back and forth chants, you know, that we can't hear you or we're not talking yeah. to you or whatever. I, those are fine. But the end of the game, time is winding down. Don't be an ass. Grow up. You know, every, every year it just <clears> – <throat> It's cool when a team wins. You know, they have their chance and stuff. But when they have to figure out, when they point out that they're the winning team and the other side's a losing team, I, I don't know. That just kind of jerks my chain a little bit. With 527 students and Tomahawk making their first trip to the state tournament since 1991, do you think school will even be open on Thursday? Nope. Like, is, is Tomahawk High School going to be open? Or are they just going to put everybody on a bus and say, we're going to Madison? Well, a couple buses. Yeah. Yeah. There'll, there'll be one or two kids who want to keep that perfect attendance. The basketball team has to stay back. <laughs> well, and Wrestling State is also this weekend, isn't it? Nope, that was last weekend. Oh, okay. No, the, team, the wrestling team oh. competition is this weekend. Okay. Uh, it was the individual competition last weekend. Okay. So they can't all come down because I'm sure they've got like wrestlers and stuff, basketball players. But yeah, like 527 students. That's a small little school. Up there in Tomahawk, what youth hockey association is that? Tomahawk. Tomahawk. What well, would that be? Like a class three? Like a three? three. Yeah. Okay, because I know also there's uh, state tournaments for uh, youth hockey this weekend, which you know we we always kind of frown on, but nothing ever changes with it. Oh, they tried to change it. They changed it. They did it one year, and it didn't make a difference. Right. They they did. They 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 made a big point of of not doing the youth tournaments on that weekend, and yeah, the. The, they had read no effect at all on the attendance at the high school tournament. And, like, the problem with attendance at the high school tournament is sort of mitigated by the fact that they're playing at Capital Ice Arena now. Um, the fans of the various teams can fill that place. The problem with attendance at the state high school hockey tournament has never been the other state tournaments or anything like that. It's the fact that people who there aren't enough people whose teams aren't there that go. When Minnesota division, when Minnesota double a fills the XL, I want to make it clear. Double a boys is the only one of their divisions that actually fills that building. It's not because 20,000 people showed up from white bear Lake and Edina. You know that that's not it because because fifteen thousand people who aren't associated with either of those teams showed up, and that's what we don't have in Wisconsin. Well, right. right, your 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 uncle, your 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 mother's brother, who spends his winters down in Arizona, is coming up for the state tournament. 
because he does every year. Minnesota. I mean, with at the Alliant Energy Center, we could have had 8,000 people that are not affiliated with any of those teams in that building. You just weren't showing up. And, you know, we see complaints on the social media like, oh, they should go back to the Alliant. Why? Are you going to show up? Or are they going to be playing in front of a quarter full building? Because if it's just the fans of the teams, it's never going to be. No, it's never going to be huge. You have to show up because you want to be there. Burglar and my mom started going to the state tournament well before they started Wisconsin from hockey. And if we weren't doing Wisconsin prep hockey, he'd still be going to the state tournament every year because he wants to see it. And that's that's what Wisconsin needs. It's not something the WIAA needs to do or something Waha needs to do. It's something the fans need to do. You need to show up when it's not your team. Right. And one of the comments that was made, you know, with, with the two divisions and they're playing more day games that, that doesn't allow the the area, casual area fan, you know, to go there and catch a night game. And, you know, I forget who was, was telling us that. And I said, well, they're not doing it anyway. The only time the only time you get a large fan base there at when it was at the Alliant was for day games when the kids could get out of school to get on a bus and, and go there. And you would have five buses come down from Fond du Lac or you know, five buses come down from Stevens Point. You know, the schools that were close enough that they could make a day trip, you know, of a bus, then you would get people in there. Or with you know, the when, current, when Rock County showed up with five bands. And with the current schedule, it's not like they lost a ton of evening games. They lost two, two evening games. The rest of the tournament is the same as it was before. There's four games on Thursday, two are in the morning, two are in the evening. Now there's just two games on Friday instead of four. So there's two games that were lost. Take your time off work. Use some of those precious PTO days and say, you know what, I'm going to use them for hockey. You would think so. You know, and you even look at like when the local schools would get there and, you know, kids would say, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to go to state and we're going to watch our team win. And, you know, more often times than not, they did. But, I mean, did they come out enough to fill the place? No. So, anyway. I guess at this point. And it's worth noting, those last couple of years at the Alliance, Unofficially, just based on what we could view, the Division Two teams drew more fans than the Division One teams did, and that's not just the private schools. That includes the the public school Division One teams. The Division Two teams drew better. I wonder why that was. Because they hadn't had a chance before. When was the last time Lakeland got to go to a state tournament? When was the last time? You know, Tomahawk is going to bring a lot of people this year. Eagle River hadn't been to the state tournament in a long time. Um, New Richmond had been there more recently, but still it had been a while. Rice Lake, when was the last time Rice Lake was in a state tournament? The two divisions 
you know, there are, there are, you know, some people who think they should just go back to eight in one division for the sake of the tournament. But two divisions has really energized those small towns because, you know, it's hard when you have a school of 527 students and you have to compete in a sectional against Spash, who has like 2,000. I would agree with all that. That's why every sport has multiple divisions once they hit a certain threshold. It's better for the sport. Like I'm almost, I haven't fully converted yet. I'm almost on the side of 444 rather than 8 and 4. If the, if the, I'm almost, yeah, I, I'm almost on the side of three divisions for boys hockey rather than an 18 division one and a 14 division two. That's just crazy talk. I think that could break up some of the the bigger co-ops in the Milwaukee area. Bigger co-ops in the Milwaukee area? Are you talking girls' side? Uh, I'm thinking like Brookfield. Waukesha? Yep. I mean, if Eau Claire can field two hockey teams, certainly some of those programs can. I think three divisions might help with that. <laughs> We're barely getting by with two. Yeah, I know. We need more teams. Yeah, I would agree with that. But it's getting late, fellas. Yeah, take us home. Dell and Bill and Bill Jr. Wednesday, we will meet. And Thursday, we will show up at the Cap Ice and watch the state tournaments, find out which of these teams are going to be crowned champions. Morning. Now, let me get this. Morning games let at me get this, out of 10. Let me get this right. All three, Division One, Division Two, and the girls, all three of them, the state the state champion is returning. Notre Dame, the uh, Bay Area Ice Bears, and New Richmond. You are correct. So all three are gonna be back to try to uh repeat. Should and be interesting. Other than Cap City, all of the qualifiers are either one or two seeds. No. Nope. So, Cap City, Cinderella. Yep. So, all right. Well, I hope you join us out there at the Coliseum, at Cap Ice. And uh, keep an eye on the website because we'll be working on stuff and trying to keep you up to date with uh, information and um, stats and good stuff like that. And I'm sure we'll have some interviews along the way. So we'll have all that on the website, but um, it's a pretty exciting week for Wisconsin prep hockey. I hope you guys enjoy it too, as much as we enjoy putting it all together. So for the, both the Bergs, Del Scanlon, I'm Mike Hammett. See you this week at the, at the uh, God, I almost called the Coliseum again at Cap Ice on this week in Wisconsin prep hockey. <laughs>